following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. We are going to dive in. We're in the series in Ephesians, and uh, we come to a very interesting passage this morning, which is on marriage. Uh, but don't those of you who are not married switch off, okay? This is for you as well. But uh, because it's a passage on marriage, we thought it'd be great to get a married couple to read it this morning together, right? That'd be a good start. So Nick and Amanda are going to come and read this passage to us. Thank you, guys. Ephesians 5 is where we'll be, everybody, if you want to open your Bibles. Verse 21, starting there. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Uh, So from verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be unified to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Clearly, this is a passage on marriage here in Ephesians 5. Uh, But I want to say, I I know that not all of you are married. Uh, And I know it's easy to come to a passage like this, a sermon like this, and and if you're not married, you can kind of mentally check out. Uh, I know some of you are single. Others of you are separated, divorced, uh, remarried. We've got people that are widowed, and so a range of situations. And I know for those of you that are married, not all of you are both Christians. And so there's a range of situations. But regardless of your marital status, this passage is relevant to you. Okay, I want you to hear that. Regardless of where where you're at in life and in relationships and so on, this passage is relevant to you. Because what Paul says here is relevant to any relationship between men and women. Yes, he's focusing particularly on marriage, but this is relevant to any relationship between men and women because what he's going to help us do is understand who we are as men and as women, Uh, understand masculinity and and femininity and and how we relate to each other in healthy ways, men to women, women to men, in ways that are encouraging, in ways that are constructive, in ways that are edifying, rather than ways that that are damaging and, at worst, abusive. So... We all need this, okay? So this is for all of us, regardless of, of where you're at this morning. Now, the first thing we need to do when we come to this passage is understand where it starts. If you have an older translation of the Bible, it may look to you like the passage begins in verse 22. And you might have wondered why Nick and Amanda started reading in verse 21. Uh, and in some translations, there is the little break there between verse 21 and 22. And it says in the break, there's a heading there, something like wives and husbands. And so it really looks like verse 22 is the start of this whole passage. But in fact, this passage 
clearly begins with verse 21. That's, and that's very important that this passage begins with that verse. In fact, verse 22 doesn't even have its own verb, just to be technical for a minute. So I know in English it says something like, wives submit to your own husbands. But in the Greek, the word submit is not there in verse 22. It just says, wives to your own husbands. So in other words, wives can do anything they like to their own husbands. It's a blank. You fill it in yourself. But the, 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 the verb is borrowed from verse 21. So clearly these verses belong together. Verse 21 is the beginning of the section. It, it contains the main verb. And so this passage begins with the statement Paul makes in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That is like a heading over the whole section. That's like a summary of everything else Paul is going to say about marriage. And in fact, I think in the Bible, that, that's about as clear a picture as you can get of a healthy marriage, uh, of a Christian marriage. And I know for, for, for many of you, you're not necessarily married to a Christian or Christian to a non-Christian. And so, you know, just think about this from your perspective. This is the optimal picture of what a Christian marriage looks like, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, let me illustrate it this, this way to you. Think about a triangle. Okay, this is the kind of picture Paul's setting up. Think about a triangle with the top point in the triangle being Christ, and then the two bottom points of the triangle being husband and wife. Okay? And if only one of you is a Christian, then just think about it from your side of the triangle. But the first thing Paul is saying is the optimal environment for a marriage to be healthy is where both husband and wife are submitting to Christ. That's the ideal situation that he's describing in a, in a Christian marriage, where both marriage partners are submitting to someone outside of themselves. Both marriage partners are submitting to something greater than just the two of them. So your marriage is about more than just, just you and your spouse. That it requires you to submit to someone beyond yourselves and that someone is Jesus. And so the most important relationship that you have in your marriage, if you're married, is not with your spouse. It's with Jesus. And in fact, the stronger your relationship is with him, the stronger your relationship is going to be with your spouse. So the most important thing that you can do for your marriage is to invest in your relationship with Jesus. That is the single most important thing that you can do. I've seen a lot of marriages break up over the years, seen a lot of people separate, a lot of people divorce, but I can honestly tell you I have never seen a marriage separate. I've never seen a couple get divorced when both marriage partners were genuinely, honestly submitting themselves to Christ. Now, it may, may happen one day, maybe it happens, I just haven't seen it. it. Somewhere along the way in every situation, someone's drifted away from their faith, someone's stopped submitting to Christ, someone's decided he's not that important, or they, they never had that faith, or it just kind of goes that way. But I've never seen it happen, where two marriage partners are genuinely committed to submitting their lives to Christ. Because the strength of your relationship with Christ is largely going to determine the strength of your relationship with one another. So the goal of marriage, and specifically Christian marriage, is that both husband and wife are moving up the triangle. Do you see that? They're moving up towards Christ, and then what's happening is they're moving towards Christ. They're getting closer together, right? They're moving closer to one another. As they're moving towards Christ, submitting to Christ, out of reverence to Christ, their lives are moving closer to one another. And that movement of husband and wife moving towards oneness to moving closer to one another is what Paul calls submitting to one another. 
Submit to one another. The word I'm going to use, the term I'm going to use is mutual submission. And this is, I think, the big idea that Paul's going for here. This is the big idea of the passage. This is the big idea of the sermon. I'll give it to you up front. And then everything else is going to be unpacking this. Marriage is about husband and wife showing mutual submission to one another out of reverence to Christ. Mutual submission. Now, I know that might maybe raises some questions for you and what's this all about? And maybe that's different to how you've heard marriage described in the past. But the rest of what Paul says unpacks that idea. The rest of what he says is articulating what does this mutual submission look like within a marriage relationship? So we're going to walk through it. And he addresses first wives and then husbands. So I'm going to do the same. First wives and then husbands. Okay, so you can all just listen in as, these, as, as wives and husbands are being uh, talked to and apply it to your own situation. Here is what he says to wives in verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. I don't know whether you've ever heard this passage read out at a wedding. Maybe sometimes it still happens. And, and, and if, you, if you look around when this passage is being read out at a wedding, what you notice is people cringing. All right, because it's so uncomfortable, right? just like you're all cringing now. And because these, these words and these instructions, like submit, it's difficult to even say the word in this day and age. The, the sort of talk of wives submitting to their husbands, it just sounds like something out of the dark ages, doesn't it? This sounds like something out of the, the Middle Ages, some sort of archaic, antiquated version of marriage that has no place in contemporary society. It's really jarring. It's very hard to hear. And I think the problem is that we don't understand the nature of biblical submission. We maybe have an idea in our heads of what submit means, but we don't understand the nature of biblical submission and what that looks like. Now, when Paul gets all the way to the end of this passage and he said everything he wants to say, he wraps it up, just jump to the end to give away the ending in verse 33. And here's how he, here's how he wraps it up. However, each of you, and that's each of you husbands, must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So when he comes to summarize everything he's saying, he, he subs out the word submit in favor of respect. And he says wives should respect their husbands. That gives definition to the biblical idea of submission, that when Paul calls wives to submit to their husbands, he's not calling them to blind obedience. He's not calling them to some kind of inferior status. He's not saying that they've got some kind of lower rank, that they're just servants and slaves of their husbands, that they're just at the whim of their husbands every command. He's saying the primary role of a wife in the marriage relationship is to show respect to her husband and treat her husband with respect. For you wives, that is what biblical submission looks like. It is to demonstrate respect towards your husband. And that is true not just because the Bible says it's true. That is true because that's how God made men. That God designed us men with a primary need for respect. Is that right? Anyone want to say amen? You're all, oh, I thought you were going to be too scared. Good on you. <clears throat> Only the guys said amen, but hey, 
We have this need for respect. We have this innate. I don't think it's a weakness. I don't think it's a deficiency. I think this is how God made us, that we have this, this need for respect, that we need to be held in regard by others. Not even just in marriage, but in life. This is what guys need. This is what men need. We need respect. And it comes in a range of ways and it can be expressed in a whole lot of ways, but we have this need for respect. There was a survey done in the US, an interview of 400 men. And it asked this question, if you were forced to choose between one of the following two negative experiences, which would you choose? To be left alone and unloved in the world or to feel inadequate and disrespected? And the result was 74% of men said they would prefer being left alone and unloved in the world. In other words, the greater negative experience for men was to feel inadequate and feel disrespected. Dr. Emerson Egretz, who's a marriage counselor, says, I've had numerous men tell me I would rather live with a wife who respected me but did not love me than a wife who loved me but did not respect me. That's hard to hear, and, and Lord forbid we'd ever have to choose. But what that, what that means is husbands are saying, if, if I had to choose out of these alternatives, I would choose to have a wife who didn't even love me, but I knew she respected me, than a wife who did love me, but didn't show any respect. And that, I think, takes you to this primal need that men have, which we will place above pretty much every other need. This need for respect. We need our wives to hold us in high regard. We need them to admire us. We need them to to look with esteem at us. We need their respect. We crave it. And that's a God-given thing. That is why the primary role of, of wives is to show this respect to their husbands. Now, wives, what does that look like? What does this look like for you practically? Well, It looks like a whole lot of things, but just start with this, okay? Let me try and make it practical for you. Start by making a list of all the things you respect about your husbands. Mm -hmm. You could do that now mentally as I'm talking. Some of you are like, I'm already done. (laughs) I just just made it. And it's not a long list. It's, It's got nothing on it. So for, for, some, for some of you, I know this is going to be really hard, and uh, it's a very short list. And, I mean, and genuinely, some wives really are going to struggle to find anything that they respect about their husbands. And in all seriousness, some wives are in a situation where they don't see a lot to respect in this guy. But here's the question. If you're struggling with this, if nothing's coming to mind, then just at least start with this question. Is he made in the image of God? I'll give you a clue. The answer is yes. All right. Is he at least made in the image of God? If so, start there. All right. If he is made in the image of God, if he is loved by God, if he is a person for whom Jesus died, which he is, then there's something. All right. There's got to be something. There is something there. There is one thing at least. There is something there. Think about what first attracted you to him. Think about what drew you to him. There is something there that is worth respecting, okay? And, and go from there and, and make that list. Because, you know, if your husband turns to you one day and says, well, what do you respect about me? You know, the worst answer is, um, uh, thinking, thinking. Th- that's terrible. So have, it, have the list ready to go. Have that list. Have at least five things on your list ready to go. Think about the things you admire about him. Think about accomplishments and achievements that he has made. Think about skills and talents and qualities and capabilities and competencies that he has that you genuinely admire. 
And then, of course, it's not enough just to have the list. You need to communicate the list. You need to let him know that you respect him for these things. You need to say it and you need to show it. I'll give you an example from our marriage. Anna's not here today, so I can say what I like. We're going to edit this recording very heavily. <clears throat> so in our marriage, one of, the, one of the areas that I, I mean, I'll just be open with you. One of the areas that I really need to, to experience this respect is in being encouraged around my preaching and teaching and speaking, right? I'm such an insecure person, as you know, and so I need that encouragement. And when, when I receive words of encouragement from Anna, that means more to me than encouragement from anyone else. Is this right, guys? And, 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 the, and the opposite is true, right? So when we receive criticism from our wives, that goes in deeper than words of criticism from anyone else. That's also true, yeah? So I ne- that's the primary way that I experience respect is that in, in encouragement from her around doing what I do. So Anna is from a home where there wasn't lavish amounts of encouragement thrown around. I mean, people were acknowledged, and when people did a good job of something, they were acknowledged for that. But it wasn't lavish. It wasn't over the top. But then she married a guy who needs encouragement, like oxygen, who needs that kind of affirmation. This is my primary love language, is words of encouragement, words of affirmation. And in the early days of our marriage, Anna would give me some encouragement, But I felt like that was just nowhere near the level that I needed to experience this encouragement. And so it's been a real journey for us of her recognizing that my need for that, that that, that encouragement, which I interpret as respect, that is far greater than what she realized it was. And when she felt like she was being reasonably encouraging, that was just scratching the surface of what I really needed. And so over time, to her credit, she, she stepped it up and she's become a great encourager and a great supporter and a real affirmation of me, which might be beyond what she even thinks is reasonable sometimes, but she has become a great encourager and I just soak that up. So when I receive that encouragement from her, it just puts wind in my sails. It just builds me up in a way that, that no one else really has the power to do because no one else is that close to me. And so that is able to just fill my tank and edify me. Because she's speaking that encouragement to me, and that, for me, is receiving respect. That's, the, that's one of the primary ways in which I receive that respect from her. It's not just her saying to me, I respect you. It's those specific, intentional words of affirmation that she's speaking connected to something that I'm doing. So she's being intentional about it. So think about this, wives. What are the ways in which you can communicate those things to your husband and keep on communicating them on a regular basis. Find those ways to affirm him. Be specific, but not just general, vague kind of things. Be intentional, be focused, be deliberate about this. And then on the flip side, wives, try to figure out the ways in which you may be communicating disrespect to your husbands and try to eliminate that. Now, this is difficult because a lot of the time you don't realize that you're communicating disrespect. Uh, But because, as men, this is our primary need, we'll interpret any negative stuff that's going on as a lack of respect because that's our filter, because that's what we need. And so anytime anything's negative, we experience that, we interpret that, we receive that as disrespect. So I'll give you an example. 
Guys, imagine that you're out with friends, okay? Those of you that are married, imagine as a couple, husband and wife, you're out, you're socializing with some friends, you're talking away, husbands, and then your wife interrupts you. Even worse, she corrects you. Now, how do you feel? Chances are you feel disrespected. Did your wife intend to disrespect you? No. She was just making her voice heard in the conversation. In fact, probably what she was doing is stopping you looking like an idiot. But because respect is our primary need, we interpret that as disrespect. If our wives interrupt, if they cut us off, if they correct us in public, we feel reduced by that. We feel like that makes us smaller. We feel like that makes us feel inadequate. So we feel disrespected. So wives, you may not at all be intending to be disrespectful to your husbands. You may be very well-intentioned, but just understand that when you, when you do certain things, it is going to come across as disrespect. Husbands will interpret criticism as disrespect. The only way around this, I think, is to have a conversation. And I encourage you married couples to do this this week. Wives, ask your husbands the question, is there anything I'm doing that is communicating disrespect to you? Is there anything I'm doing that, that, you, that you is coming across as a lack of respect? I might not be intending it, but if there is, see what you can do about modifying that behavior. I'm not saying there's never a time to say anything negative. I'm not saying there's never a time to correct or, or criticize or whatever. I'm just saying be careful how you do it and be aware that those comments will come across as disrespect and that is going to have the effect of tearing your husband down rather than building him up. So talk about it together. Figure out what are the things that you can do that are going to communicate respect? What are the things you can eliminate that are going to communicate disrespect? And wives, as you do that, as you speak respect into your husband's lives, as you encourage, as you affirm him, as you esteem him, you are just going to see his tank being filled. You're going to see the wind in his sails. You're going to see him becoming the husband you desire him to be. You're going to see him becoming the man that God has called him to be. You have that power, that ability, like no one else does, by showing that respect to him. So wives, this is your primary role, to show, demonstrate, speak that respect to your husbands. All right, now husbands, you've been, you've been sitting there with a smug look on your face, and now it's time for Paul to beat you up. Uh, he's not going to beat you up, but he's got, some, he's got some things to say. All right, so husbands, let, let's just come back for a minute to verse 23, and this image of the head and the body, because this is, this is contentious. Paul says, the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the body, of which he is the Savior. Now, there's a lot of debate about exactly what this means, that the husband is the head of the body. And some people take this in a very hierarchical sort of way, that the husband is the authority in the marriage. He is the one in charge. He is the one who makes the decisions. He is kind of in this position of, of ruling or leading the, 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 the wife, the home. And certainly that's how it was in the first century. You, you can't argue with that. This Paul is writing in a very patriarchal culture where that's exactly how it was. It was extremely male-dominated and male-driven. But I think in this context, Paul is doing something subversive. He is doing something subversive with this word head and in a sense turning it on its head from the way it was commonly used. When you look at what Paul actually says to husbands here, when you look at the instructions that he gives them in verse 25 and following, there is no sense of authority. There's just not. There is no sense of ruling. 
their wives. There is no sense of husbands subjugating their wives. There is no sense of husbands being in a position of superiority and, and, and ruling over their wives. In fact, there's not even any sense of husbands leading their wives. And, and you hear this talked about all the time. Husbands, were the leaders of our wives. And yet I challenge you to find any verse in Scripture that says husbands lead your wives. It's not there. Paul doesn't say it. In fact, what he says is not husbands lead your wives, but husbands love your wives. The command is not for husbands to lead their wives. It's for husbands to love their wives like Christ loves the church. So the, the headship idea is not for husbands to rule over their wives. It is for husbands to demonstrate sacrificial love. It is for husbands to demonstrate sacrificial service to their wives, like Christ loved the church, to be willing to lay themselves down for their wives, lay down their rights, lay down their interests, lay down their own desires and needs and preferences, and put the interests and needs and preferences of their wives above their own. That's the idea of headship. That's the kind of headship that we are called to, men, husbands. A headship that involves service and sacrifice and surrender. That's a tall order. The primary command that Paul gives to husbands is in verse 25. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then he reiterates it again down in verse 33. However, each one of you, talking to husbands, must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must, love, must respect her husband. So it sounds like it's stating the obvious, but the primary command that husbands have in a marriage relationship is to show love, genuine, sincere, Christ-centered love to their wives. And again, this is true, not just because the Bible says it's true. It's true because this is the primary need that women have. And especially in the marriage relationship, a, a need and a deep innate desire to be loved. Is this right, woman? Am I generally on the right track? A desire to be, to be loved. And not, not just to know that you are loved, but to feel loved. And I think this is part of the problem. There's a lot of wives that know cognitively that their husbands love them. They just don't feel it. They don't feel it day to day in the way their husbands actually treat them. A researcher into marriage and family named Shanti Feltham says she's surveyed thousands of women and she's found 80% of women secretly wonder, am I lovable? Does my partner really love me? She says this, in an unusual and powerful way that married men don't really understand, your wife doesn't feel permanently loved once the marriage papers are signed. She may know that you love her, but there will be times when her feelings will need to be convinced and reassured, sometimes over and over again. So the problem is, I think, <clears throat> that for us guys, I mean, if you're married, that guys, we stood at the altar one day, and we said, I will love you, for better or worse, or words to that effect. And we thought that was a done deal. I mean, we thought that that's good, you know? Somebody got it on tape, someone recorded it, probably, and so our wives know. They will always know that we love them because I said it once. 19 years ago. And if Anna's not sure about that, she can always go back and watch the video. <laughs> Which is still on VHS, by the way. 
But this is the issue, isn't it, guys? The we said it once, and we think that's good enough. But for our wives, they need to keep knowing and hearing and experiencing us, saying, I still do, every single day. They need to keep knowing, I still love you. I still love you. I still love you. And not by you just saying, I love you as you, as you take off in the morning, but through your words, through your actions, through your attitudes, all the time. This is the deepest need that our wives have is to feel loved, to feel cherished, to feel special, to feel nurtured, to feel like they are the most important thing in the whole world because they are and they should be and they need to experience that all the time from us. And we guys need to find the ways of communicating that and showing that in a million different ways. That's our job, loving our wives. Now, guys, because we don't have a clue how to do this, let me give you a couple of practical examples. Let me just bring it right down to the bottom shelf. First of all, connection and closeness. Connection and closeness. Okay, now, I've learned a lot about this in the 19 years that I've been married. Uh, one of the things that Anna and I do is uh, in, in the evenings, after we've kind of done the work that we need to do, whatever, if we're both home in the evenings, we'll sit down and watch a bit of TV. This is one of the things that we do, pretty mundane, but we'll sit down in the lounge and watch whatever's on or something we've recorded. And Anna's quite a social person. So as we're watching TV, she'll often make some comments about what we're watching. And she'll make a comment about characters in the TV show or something on the ad or whatever's on the news. And she just sort of make these, make these comments. And for the first, no kidding, for the first 10 years of our marriage, I thought they were rhetorical questions. I thought that when she was talking, she was just talking to herself. And that she was just making these comments either to the TV or just to herself. And so I felt no need to respond whatsoever. But what I realized nine years ago through a, through a conversation that we had about this is that all the while she'd been hoping for some response from me. That whole time she hadn't just been talking to the TV, she'd been talking to me. And she'd been hoping for some kind of response which I had never given. And I realized what she was seeking and still is, is that sense of connection. Now, what I've learned is that doesn't necessarily mean that she just wants face-to-face -face conversation. See, this has been a learning for me too. It's not that she just wants me to turn off the TV and stare into her eyes and talk for, for three hours. There's probably nothing worse that she would want than that. She's perfectly happy watching TV together with me. But she wants that sense that we're doing it together. And for her, one of the ways in which she's seeking to get that is by making these comments and hoping I'll respond so that she knows I'm with her, that we're, we're watching TV, but we're doing it together. We're connected. We're involved in this shared activity. And so I've tried to get a little bit better. When those comments are made at saying something, acknowledging and letting her know that, yes, I'm here. Yes, I'm present. Yes, I'm seeing the same thing that you are. I'm not making all the same comments that you are, but I'm responding to your comments. So I'm learning as I go with this. But the point is, this connection is simply... At its most practical level, guys, it's doing stuff together. It's not just uninterrupted conversation. It's finding the things that give you a sense of relational connectedness, which could be as simple as watching TV. But if you're watching TV, don't just go into your own corners of the house. Don't just watch your own programs on Netflix. Come together. Watch something together. Find something, anything. I mean, we're watching The Crown at the moment, for heaven's sake. But find something. <laughs> that you can watch together. 
And that act of watching it together is going to do something to, to glue you together, glue your hearts together. Guys, be in the same space that your wife is in, in the house. When you, when you get home, don't just go to your bedroom. Don't just go to the lounge and crash out. Be in the same proximity. Be where she is. Take an interest. Engage. Ask questions. Really listen. Don't just try to fix it, but be present with her where she's at. Have you got some shared interests? Have you got a shared hobby? Do you both like a certain sport? Do you both play music? Is it going to concerts together? Is it a walk along the beach together? Simple things everyday things, but things that you can do together. Even coming to church together, right? I mean, this is something, if you're here this morning and you're married, hopefully you're sitting together, but this is something that you are doing that is actually forming a little glue in your marriage. Going to church is good for your marriage. How about that? Because as well as many other things going on in these gatherings, it is a sense of relational connectedness and you are affirming that you're in this together and you're doing it out of reverence to Christ. All three points of the triangle are showing up here. This is good for your marriage. So married men, find those ways, find those things. Lord knows we have precious little leisure time to begin with. Let's not spend it isolating ourselves from our wives. Let's not spend it just going off in our own corners and pursuing our own interests. Focus on this precious gift that God has given you. Develop that sense of connectedness with her. And as you do, you are communicating love. Do you see this? It's not just saying, I love you 10 times. It's being relationally connected to her that is speaking volumes about how important she is to you. So be connected. Now, here's the second one, guys, and this is, this is really hard, okay? We need to be more emotionally open with our wives. I know, I know, this is difficult. This is, this is really hard stuff. But it's going to mean, guys, we're going to have to talk about the F word, feelings. Sooner or later, we are going to have to do it. Because the problem is for us men that we, when we have, com- I mean, in general, we don't mind having the conversations with our wives, but we will typically stay on the level of facts. Is this right? That we're quite happy talking about what's going on in the family, but we'll talk about the facts and we will analyze and we will problem solve and we will strategize, but we will talk about facts. We're quite happy talking about what's going on at work, but it will remain at the level of facts. Thank you very much. What our wives need from us is to drop down to the next level, the level of feelings. They don't just want to know what's going on at work. They want to know how you feel about that. They don't just want to know what's going on in your life or with the kids or with the family or what's happening next year. They want to know how you feel about that. When you talk about what's coming up for you next year, in three years' time, guys, are you willing to be real about how you feel about your future? The aspirations you have, uh, your hopes and dreams, your deep desires, your fears, your apprehensions, your anxieties. I don't know, something, something somehow has crept into the male psyche where we feel like it's more courageous to keep up this veneer like we've got it all together. I think the most courageous thing we can do is be vulnerable. The most courageous thing a husband can do is let his wife see his heart. Is that right? Husbands, when was the last time that your wife actually saw your heart? That you were able just to kind of open things up enough just for her to get a glimpse of your heart. 
to actually see what's going on inside, what, what, what worries you, what excites you, how you feel about things. That is an extremely vulnerable thing, but do you know what it's communicating to your wife? Love. Because you are saying to her, I trust you with my heart. I trust you enough to be vulnerable, which you may not be with anyone else, not to this level anyway, but you're saying to your wife, I trust you enough to be vulnerable and emotionally open to you, and that is communicating bucket loads of love to her. That is telling her how special she is to you, that you are willing to disclose the, the, what's going on on the inside, the deepest parts of your psyche and your being, as much as you're in touch with them anyway, and willing to share that. Willing to communicate that. That for her is a way of receiving deep love from you because she's seeing you at your most vulnerable. And so she knows she's treasured by you. Guys, we need to be intentional about this. Those are just two things. There are a million other ways. Learn your wife's love language. Read that book by Gary Chapman on the five love languages. Find out the way that your wife specifically needs to experience and receive love from you. Might be acts of service. Might be words of encouragement. Might be quality time. Whatever it is, people are different. Find that way in which she needs to receive love because it might not be the same way you do and then make it your mission to lavish her with that love in a million ways through word and deed every day of your life. And as you do that, husbands, you will be filling her tank. You will be putting wind in her sails. You will be affirming and building her up. You will help her to be a more grounded and secure person, secure in your love for her, secure in God's love for her, and you will see her become the wife that you desire her to be and the woman that God desires her to be. You will see this transformation as you speak that love and act that love out into her life. So, <clears throat> excuse me, where all this leads us is all the way back to verse 21. It's like we've come full circle. And, and where we get to in this is back to what Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Really what we're saying is submission looks different for men and women. For wives, submission looks like respect. For men, husbands, submission looks like love. But in the end, these are really two paths to the same summit. It's like two different roads to the same point. And where it all comes out is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, you might say that sounds a little bit strange because it's only wives who are commanded to submit here. So what's all this about mutual submission? What about, you know, well, just think about what this means practically. What does it mean for wives to submit to show respect to their husbands? It means they're placing their husband's needs, desires, and interests ahead of their own, right? What does it mean for husbands to love their wives? It means they are placing their wives' needs, interests, desires, and preferences above their own. Doesn't that sound a bit like submission? Doesn't that, I mean, what else is submission than placing the needs, interests, and desires of the other ahead of my own? When I do that, I am submitting to the other person, to my spouse, to my wife. That's mutual submission, is being willing to lay down our own interests and preferences and desires for the sake of the other person, to submit to them out of love, to show respect, to show love, and as a Christian, if you are a Christian, to do this out of reverence for Christ. That ultimately, you're not just honoring your husband or wife, you are honoring Jesus. 
that ultimately you're doing this not to respect your husband, but to respect God. Ultimately, you are doing this not to love your wife, but to love the God who gave you your wife. And that is where our eyes need to be on Jesus, that we do all of this as an act of submission to him. We submit to one another and we bring ourselves under. The, we, we submit together to the lordship of Jesus in our lives. So here is the challenge for you, those of you that are married. I speak specifically now to those of you that are married. Sometime this week, I want to encourage you to have a conversation about this passage, about what you've heard. Could you free up the time this week? Could you make a date night this week and just sit down and talk about what you've heard today? Talk about this message, talk about this passage and ask one another these questions about how, how can I show respect to you more? How can I show love to you more? Be honest, be gracious with each other, be kind to one another, be understanding, be humble, but have that conversation and find the ways to show love and respect. And not just love and respect, but unconditional love and unconditional respect. Because what will happen is you'll go out of here and you'll, you'll try, but you're going to find, oh, but hey, there's nothing coming back the other way. I'm trying to show all this respect, but I'm, where's the love? Or I'm trying to show all this love to her and I'm not getting any respect here. But you focus on you. You folk, don't worry about what's coming the other way. Don't worry about whether this is being reciprocated. You take up God's call to you to show love, to show respect. And over time, you let him work on the other person. Let him work on your marriage. But don't show this in a conditional way with strings attached. You show unconditional love, unconditional respect. If as you are talking together, there are things coming up that are difficult and are beyond the two of you to work out, and if there are issues you're already well aware of that are beyond the two of you to work out, can I say there are others that you can reach out to there are great Christian counselors that we can put you in touch with. We've got a great pastoral team, staff team that would be happy to sit down with you. There, there are marriage mentors in our church, trained marriage mentors who can come alongside you. The help is there. Please don't feel, if you're really struggling in your marriage, please don't feel like you have to struggle alone in isolation. But talk together about how you might be able to reach out for some help beyond yourselves. That help is there. It is available. We can walk the journey with you and within the bounds of confidentiality, and privacy. There is help. There are resources. There is support. Last thing, a lot of what I've said today has come from this book, Love and Respect by Emerson Egeritz. Uh, this is a copy from the church library. Obviously, I'm giving this to Anna because she needs it more than me. No. <laughs> Uh, but if you, if you want to borrow this book or you want to get your own copy, it is an excellent read and just picks up these two themes coming out of Ephesians 5.33 around love and respect. Practical, foundational stuff. You could read it together as husband and wife. But may we be full of love and full of respect for each other, not just as husbands and wives, right, but as men and women. May we relate to each other in ways that are honoring, in ways that are edifying. May we submit to one another and may we do it all out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the mystery of marriage. And it is such a mystery. But we thank you that part of what you've given us this gift for is to show us the mystery of the union between you and the church. And Jesus, we thank you that this relationship between husband and wife in some ways reflects the love that you have the commitment that you have to us as your church, that we are your bride and you have treated us with such unbelievable kindness, even when we didn't deserve it.
And you have shown us such incredible love that you've been willing to lay down your life for us. Lord, would you help all of us to have that same spirit, married or not? That same humility, that same attitude of love and respect. And I want to just pray, Lord, a special blessing and outpouring of your spirit upon every marriage relationship in our church. Lord, we know that marriages are struggling all around us, Lord, we know. And I just pray, Father, for those marriages in our church, for for men and women here who are married, I want to pray, God, that you would just fill their relationships and fill their lives with a fresh love for you and a fresh love for one another. I pray that you would help them not just to be married, but to draw closer and closer to you, closer and closer to one another over the course of their lives, to continually in your strength move to greater and greater oneness, greater and greater unity, greater and greater love. Lord, would you teach us how to work these things out in practice, especially when it's not easy, especially when it's not reciprocated, especially when we're tired and everything seems to work against us. But in those moments when it matters, would you nudge us by your spirit and empower us with your strength to be people of love and people of respect, just as you have treated us the same way. We thank you for your deep love for us, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.